hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and why your sensei misses you and maybe you should give them a call. Pete says you never call. On tonight's episode, we'll be giving our final review of the oldest installment of Dragon Ball as we give our thoughts, opinions, and score for each story arc in that original series. So once again, settle in and pop open another heat tap as we prepare to give our review of the original Dragon Ball series. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And this review will be unveiling our new audio equipment, so hopefully you hear a difference in tonight's episode. Todd and I have also made some slight tweaks to the formula in tonight's episode, but the basic rules stay the same. And speaking of those rules, would you like to give our audience a refresher on how the review works, Todd? Absolutely. As a reminder, our scoring goes from 1 to 10. Date and I have chosen a score for each arc, as well as ranking the original Dragon Ball as a whole. We will present our individual scores, which we haven't yet revealed to one another, and then come up with the instant transmission podcast score by taking the average of our individual scores. We also separated out a couple of the smaller arcs and rated them. The arc separations largely correlate with how they how they've been presented on the Konzenshu website. So you can kind of go on there and see the full list. This kind of allowed us to remove episodes from arcs that may have otherwise had a strong influence on those major arcs ratings. So we feel like this has kind of been the best the best way to do it for how we wanted to present our rating system. Yeah, and it kind of helps us focus on the highs rather than the lows. And I think I think that works out better. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that pretty much covers everything for how we're going to do this mechanically. Do we want to go ahead and jump right into it, Dayton? You got it. And the first arc in the original Dragon Ball series is the Son Goku or Pilaf arc. And the story begins with a very young Goku living quietly in his mountain home. A young Balma runs into Goku on her quest for the Dragon Balls, and the two travel together and end up running into, well, most of our main heroes on their journey. They encounter the Pilaf gang, who are also questing for the Dragon Balls, but the evil Emperor wants to use them for his own selfish desires. After collecting all seven Dragon Balls, Pilaf's wish is stopped by the most unlikely of heroes, Oolong, who uses the wish to obtain the world's most comfortable pair of underpants. And... I've got to say, this arc is interesting because it's the only, I guess, Dragon Ball arc I can think of right now that feels completely self-contained. It's kind of its own thing. Yeah, we talked about this briefly before recording where this one, I mean, it's 13 episodes. It gives us, this is the beginning of Dragon Ball, and it gives us the introduction to our main characters, primarily with Goku and Balma, with a few others to join the cast after. But by the end of it, they've collected the Dragon Balls, which was their quest at the very beginning. There is a wish made on the Dragon Balls for underwear. <laughs> Uh, and they've kind of, uh, they all have their own character arc throughout these 13 episodes, uh, whether it be Balma and Yamcha ending up together as a couple where, you know, Yamcha was afraid of women. Balma was looking for the perfect boyfriend. 
uh, Goku has kind of traveled away from home for the first time and gained friends and knowledge about the world. And he's also, he got to learn about the Dragon Balls and what this thing was that his grandpa was holding. Uh, And Oolong went from being this perverted little pig to, in a way, being the hero of the story. He's the one who made the wish, guys. (laughs) So... Yeah, and that's, I think you're kind of hitting on a lot of things that I did actually like about this arc is that the character introductions and character building in this was actually pretty good. We get to see characters kind of developing right off the get and we're seeing where they're coming from and kind of the direction that they're heading in. And I think it does a good job of setting up all these characters for the future to develop even more. Yeah, 100%. The interesting thing about this to me, especially in the anime, is it's 13 episodes. If if you know anything about anime, 13 episodes is kind of the traditional like one season of an anime number. And so it almost feels to me like this was intended to be a single season. Toei Animation was going to kind of feel it out and see how Dragon Ball did. Uh, but they wanted to make sure that that first season was self-contained. Like you had a start, a middle, and an end. Uh, and just in case they didn't continue it for whatever reason you could just watch those 13 episodes and get that nice little self-contained story yeah and i mean it's fun it's lighthearted. it's very dragon ball um i do have a couple critiques of it though where i do feel like the middle of this arc feels like it's very episodic and it kind of drags a little bit and i mean i think the beginning's pretty good and i think the end's pretty good but there's kind of there's a lack of meat in this sandwich I very much agree with you. The The interesting thing about that to me, like I I don't like episodic shows, anime, anything like that. Uh, it it kind of gives it that, as much as I'm a big Power Rangers fan, it gives it that Power Rangers vibe of just like monster of the week or story of the week for each episode. And I the only thing I'll say about that for this arc is that even though some of those episodes are very episodic, Almost everyone at least ties into their quest to get the Dragon Ball. Almost every episode that is kind of like a self-contained story is them finding a Dragon Ball. And that at least progresses their quest a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, as far as, I guess, animation goes, I don't think this is one of the the arcs that really blew me out of the water. I don't think it was bad, but it wasn't really great either. I just I kind of give it a mediocre rating. I think I agree with you on that. I think actually one of my biggest cons for this arc is the fight scenes and the animation are a little bit lacking. I think mostly for me, it's the fight scenes than anything else. Uh, And I mean, I guess that wouldn't be a big deal if this weren't Dragon Ball, like the quintessential fighting anime. And of course it kind of becomes that over time. But when I watch Dragon Ball, I expect to see some badass fighting and we really, I honestly, I can't think of a single good fight in this first arc. No. And I, I do think that part of that is that the, the main villain was the Pilaf gang. And normally I can rag on the Pilaf gang, but this, they work in this arc because I feel like he's baby's first villain. And I think it works here. So I'm not going to peel off annoys me because of how much he shows up after this and is just kind of uh, 
I don't know, like a gag line in a bunch of episodes, but I think he works here. He's not my favorite villain, but I think he's also necessary in, I guess, Goku's progression. I completely agree with you. I think Pilaf is a perfect starting villain, as you kind of call him, like baby's first villain, where he's goofy. He helps set the tone because the tone for Dragon Ball, especially in this arc, is it's comedy. It's not the focus is not the action. The focus is the comedy and kind of the journey and the story. And I think it's a great starting place where Dragon Ball can kind of grow from there. Yeah. And I mean, this this arc's pretty it's pretty straightforward to me. It's a pretty self-contained little arc that has a start, has an end. And you could I mean, you could kind of tell that if if people didn't like Dragon Ball, well, at least it would end there. Yeah, yeah, I I very much agree. I think it was like I was saying, kind of their their tester season. Um, but I, I mean, I love the way this this arc starts. I love the way the first episode to me is is perfect. It introduces the characters really well. It introduces us to the world with uh, giving us information about the Dragon Balls and even showing us there are cars and martial artists and dinosaurs in this world it's a weird fucking combination (laughs) but toriyama makes it work and it's really engaging yeah it's it's our first view into really a mystical world something that's really different from what we have here and i mean they they go to great lengths to show you that they're going through like mushroom forests and deserts and all kinds of crazy places during this arc yeah that's a good point i mean we we were talking about the animation being a little bit lacking, but in terms of world building, I mean, honestly, in the entirety of Dragon Ball, I don't think the world building is fantastic, but in terms of just giving us unique scenery and showing us that we are in kind of a magical, unique world, this arc does a very good job of that. uh, Showing us, like you said, Dayton, these different like, forests with these giant stone pillars and stuff and showing us the dinosaurs and pig creatures that can transform and talking rabbits that can turn people into carrots and uh, it's it's just wild it's it does a good job of showing us the magical nature of dragon ball yeah and it wants you to feel like the world is is vibrant and alive and there's all these things in it it doesn't go out of its way to explain it but also dragon ball doesn't really ever try to do that and i'm okay with that yes yeah i agree it it creates questions and mystery which i think is a is a good thing but i think we're we've kind of talked about pretty much the ins and outs of this arc uh at this point Unless you have anything else to say, Dayton, I think we could probably go through and give this one a score. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go ahead and hear it, Todd. Okay. So I've mostly talked about how I feel about this arc. Well, I've talked about kind of the pros and cons of this arc. As a whole, my feeling towards this arc is generally positive. Uh, it's it's good, but it's not great. I wish it had more fighting. The animation could be improved but I really like what it does for the world of Dragon Ball. So my rating for the Sun Goku or Pilaf arc is a six out of 10. 
Well, I'm going to kind of sound like a broken record here for a lot of the same reasons, but I'm also going to give it a six out of 10. And it wasn't, there was nothing really that made this arc stand out to me one way or the other. It wasn't bad. There wasn't anything that bothered me, but there also wasn't anything that really wowed me and took my breath away. It was a fun adventure. It was lighthearted, but also it, it it was a little episodic and a little there's a little bit of a drag in the middle of it. But overall, it was it was pretty good. It was a good watch, but I can't I can't justify higher than a six. And I do think it was slightly better than just your average episode. So I think six out of ten hits right home for me. Yeah, I, I very much agree with everything you had to say about it. Uh, conveniently, that means I don't have to do any math because that makes our instant transmission score for the Sun Goku arc also a six. So as a recap, Todd or my score was a six. Dayton's score was a six, which makes the instant transmission podcast score a six out of 10 for the Sun Goku arc. All right, I'll put the calculator away, at least for now, because I think that brings us straight into the 21st World Martial Arts Tournament or the Jackie Chun arc. And this one has Goku and Krillin beginning their training under the Turtle Hermit, which, by the way, I love. And we get to see his unorthodox methods. And this training continues up until our two young heroes are ready to enter the world tournament. Goku manages to make it all the way to the final round where he faces Jackie Chun, who is actually Master Roshi in disguise. Goku loses control during the match, becoming the rampaging, uncontrollable great ape. And Roshi is able to narrowly escape defeat by destroying Earth's moon. And this, I honestly was blown away by this episode. I've never seen Dragon Ball anywhere done to this level of compelling fighting. I don't know. It was actually telling a story with their fists. And there was compelling reasons to care about these battles, even though it wasn't like a a world-threatening, you know, evil villain. It was just rooting for Goku and rooting for Krillin and seeing our young heroes kind of realize their dreams. Yeah, and I, I'm i glad that you feel that way about this one because I, I feel similarly. I think that what makes this arc so special is how they tie in the story and the writing and the drama with the fighting because this is a tournament arc. I mean, it, it it's in the name itself. It's a tournament. It should be all about fighting, right? But while the fighting is good and super exciting and fun to watch, that's not the real reason we're all here watching this tournament. The real reason is because we want to see if Goku and Krillin can make it to the top of the mountain. And we want to see if Master Roshi as Jackie Chun can stop them from winning the tournament and basically keep them interested in learning martial arts and continue to grow and improve as martial artists. Yeah, and right at the beginning, we're seeing them going through all the all the turtle hermit training methods, which is delivering milk and uh, speed tests and, you know, pushing rocks and swimming across uh, uh, piranha filled lakes. And it's all this unorthodox stuff. And so you this tournament starts building up in value because they're told very early on that this is what they're training for. And then when they actually get there, there's this big there's this big investment into wanting them to do well. 
And as the tournament drags on, they do this this great dialogue between Roshi and his students that really sets the tone. And the suspense really builds up towards the end when Goku is actually threatening to maybe win the tournament. And you would think that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because it might restrict Goku's ability to actually grow as a fighter, as a martial artist. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, gosh, he's around 11 or 12 at this point in the story. And I mean, how would you feel, Dayton, if you were 12 years old and you trained as a martial artist and then went and fought in the world martial arts tournament and won? Like, would you be interested in just continuing to learn more? Uh, no, honestly, it's, it's beer and whatever else after that. I'm done. I'm, I'm hanging up the belt and getting my, my kid beer and I'm, I'm done. I did it. I did it all. I want to see that anime where Goku just becomes a beer drinking alcoholic at 12 years old. <laughs> He's like, nah, I want it on. I, I want it all. There's nothing after this. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you reach that peak, like there's, there's not a whole lot of reason to keep pushing yourself. And that's what Master Roshi was worried about. And I, I love this. This is excellent storytelling and excellent character arc, especially for, for our main character, Goku, who, Honestly, there are a lot of times in Dragon Ball where he doesn't have much of an arc to go through, but this is one of those times where it's it's really kind of in your face and really prominent. Uh, and also, you talked about the kind of like the beginning portion of this arc where they do the training with Master Roshi Dayton, and there are a lot of training arcs in Dragon Ball. Um, I mean, spoilers, there are a quite a few that I think are not good this one, however, is not only the first training arc, but also, in my opinion, one of the best. It is really interesting. Like you said, Dayton, there's really unorthodox training with the turtle shells and the carrying milk and all that. Uh, but it's we actually get to see the training and it feels rewarding. It feels like it would be valuable. It feels like the characters are getting better and they they should. It feels gratifying to watch them on this journey and that's not always the case so they do a great job with that and it's also probably one of master roshi's best character or story arcs he gets to participate in we really get to see him kind of open up as the master we get to see that wisdom and we also get to see his motivations behind everything he's doing for for his students it's i mean it's fascinating watching the master actually go to work and it makes you respect him as a character. And I, I like how he was written in this. I very much agree. Anybody who's only seen Dragon Ball Z and not watched the original Dragon Ball might think that Master Roshi is just a pervy, worthless old man. Uh, so it's it's pretty nice to see a lot of respect given to his character. I mean, not only, you know, by his students, but just in terms of his character writing and seeing him be exactly what he should be. He's a mentor. He's a master of the martial arts and he's, he's wise and he has information and knowledge to impart on his students, those younger than him. And his fighting style re reflected that too, how careful his movements were and how deep his, his move bag was. He was pulling out moves that I've never seen before in this tournament, just firing off electricity and all sorts of crazy things. It, I mean, it was a blast to watch, but all of it was in character. He's 
I mean, how many hundreds of years old? He would have a move set like that. Yeah, yeah. It was somebody who's, I, I think he's around 300 years old. So yeah, obviously he's going to have a, a wide array of techniques and he uses them. It's also fun to see Goku, who is a clearly a fighting prodigy as he learned the Kamehameha by watching it a single time. Uh, he also continues to show that as he fights in the tournament against Roshi, against other people in the tournament too, as he just begins to adapt. One of the things that comes to my mind is when Roshi uses the, or Jackie Chun uses the drunken fighting style, Goku then in turn just creates the crazy monkey style out of nowhere. <laughs> it's really super fun. And there, there are, I guess, a little bit more fun undertones to this. Some of the characters that they're fighting are kind of goofy and weird. Uh, the example I'm going to give is Bacterian. That was a goofy kind of character. I did almost gag, though, when he like reached his hand down his pants and walked towards Krillin. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good on that. That is gross. That I thought that character was ineffective until I saw that technique. <laughs> and I mean, the... I think what you said about the last arc, about it being very Dragon Ball, these first couple of arcs are setting the tone. They're they're setting that comedic tone. And it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's a lot of potty humor. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of a, it's a low brow humor in terms of the tone that we're getting with this. But it's, you know, it's got kind of a young feel to it, which feels somewhat appropriate. Uh, yeah, we're, that, we're our heroes are kids right now. And so things I, I think should kind of be that way. It fits in with the context. Exactly. And that kind of continues. But also the show begins to grow over time, as we'll kind of see as we go through these arcs. But the I do. And that was one of the things I was thinking about when I was trying to bring up cons, because I honestly was really stretching with this one. The only other couple real cons I have are. The Master Roshi pervy humor goes a little little too far in this. It's a little excessive, and I wish they would have, you know, toned that down a little bit. But I guess, I don't know, it's a 40-something-year-old show. Maybe that was more okay back then, so I'll give it somewhat of a pass. And the the only real con I have, though, is I w would have liked to have seen a little bit more serious fighting from Krillin. He kind of wasn't... He had a little bit of serious fighting, but I, I I wanted to see a little bit more of it. I mean, he gets the he gets his round against Jackie Chun, where Jackie Chun, of course, wins the match. Uh, and he does he does decently well. He pulls out a few like interesting tricks as Krillin tends to do. But yes, I I'm trying to think of another fight that was even a serious fight for him. He fought Bacterian. He beat up his old bullies. Um... He did, but, but even that was like a single hit, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was, I, it wasn't terrible, but it could have been better. I, I would have liked to have seen Krillin really build some confidence and tap into himself. Yeah, I agree. And the, the interesting thing here is that we didn't mention it, but this is the introduction to Krillin, uh, which I think to me felt very, very necessary because we, at the end of the last arc in the, the Pilaf saga or the Son Goku arc, the rest of the characters 
kind of left. They they all went back to the city and Goku's like, I'm going to go train with Master Roshi. And so we needed somebody to kind of bounce off of Goku and Krillin, especially when he first is introduced as kind of this very shady, lazy, underhanded character, but still wants to learn martial arts. He's the perfect opposite of Goku. And then we get to see Krillin's story arc as he becomes a much more morally sound character. <laughs> for better or for worse. You know, I, I like both sides of Krillin. I'm not picky. Yeah, I mean, he's he's fun to watch in both scenarios, but it's it's a great story arc for him. But I agree. I, I think I would have liked to have seen some more serious fighting from his character. I think that that more or less wraps up my opinions about that arc. Anything else from you? No, I think we can probably move into the scoring for this one. So just my some of my feelings about this arc for the reason that I gave it the score that I did. It's it's really hard to find things that to knock this arc for Um, just a little bit in terms of tone and in terms of. I mean, little old tropes with Master Roshi and everything with his perviness. Um, it's it would be nice to see Krillin in some more serious fighting. It would be some of the comedy I could do without uh, the bacteria and stuff is kind of meh. Um, so I ended up because this arc is so excellent with few knocks. I gave it an eight out of ten. Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of picking up where you're leaving off. I, I liked so much about this arc. I do think, and I agree with you that this is one of the best training montages or training episode arcs that we've, we've really seen in all of Dragon Ball. And I also like how relatable the type of training that they're doing is. It's just, there's something that's just wholesome about it. And on top of that, it's even better when the master goes to the tournament to keep teaching his students. And when I was looking for cons, I was honestly really stretching myself to find cons. And the second I have to stretch myself and sit down and really think about it, I know it's a really good arc. So I actually went just a little higher than you. I actually gave it a nine out of 10. I think this is a nearly perfect arc. Yeah, I would agree. I, I honestly was struggling between eight and nine. I I think it easily could have been a little bit higher even. But uh, with that, that makes our instant transmission rating in 8.5 so as a recap todd or my rating was an eight dayton's rating was a nine and the instant transmission rating averages out to an 8.5 for the 21st tenkaishi budokai what an excellent arc oh i love it (laughs) yeah but with that one wrapped up That's going to bring us into the Red Ribbon Army arc. And a new type of foe enters the scene in the form of the Red Ribbon Army, a vicious private military force who will stop at nothing to collect all seven Dragon Balls in the name of their pint-sized leader, Commander Red. After stealing the four-star Dragon Ball, Goku is hell-bent on getting it back. And after he trains with Master Korin, he then single-handedly fights his way through several formidable commanders, eventually bringing the Red Ribbon Army to its knees and retrieving all but one of the Dragon Balls. And for me, this this is kind of a long arc. It's a lot to digest in, I guess, in one sitting. And it there's a lot of 
really highs and some not so great lows in this arc. It's kind of all over the place, but there's just so much content to cover in it. It's it's hard to, I guess, single out individual things. This is honestly a tough one. I mean, we we're going to cover and rate this as a whole, but this could easily have been broken up into multiple chunks. But I almost feel like it's best to cover it as a whole because the Red Ribbon Army itself is one through storyline. And so I agree with you, Dayton. There are some major highs and some middling and some major lows in here for me as well. I think if we're just kind of covering it briefly, the I almost divide this up into three chunks, which I think Kanzenshu might even do that too. But you kind of have the beginning portion with the muscle tower. And then after completing that, you have the the middle section with general blue. And then following that, you kind of have the, the section with mercenary Tao, and you could even maybe divide it up into a fourth section with like Goku confronting commander red. But I kind of tied that into mercenary Tao's chunk myself. Yeah. And I think I kind of felt the same way. And if I have to go through and kind of pick each one and pick my favorite and least favorite things about them, um, I mean, Muscle Tower is is a lot of fun. Actually, something that I can say about pretty much all the main fights in this is that my biggest critique of it is that there's only a few spots where we get like really smooth, nicely choreographed animations that you can sit down and really appreciate. This arc was a little tougher to, I guess, get through because there's no, there aren't very many big baddies that are giving us really... I don't know, fun fights against. It's kind of Goku working his way, way through piles of soldiers over and over again with a couple exceptions. Right, yeah. I mean, there are a few, like, mini bosses or main boss fights in Muscle Tower, if you want to consider them that way, with his name changes through the dub and the, the Japanese, but Metallitron or the Terminator Metallic or yeah, the Terminator. Uh, let's be real here. <laughs> um, but you've got that guy. You've got, I think his name is like major general purple, the ninja that he fights. Uh, then you have, I think it's, I forget their titles. It's general or major white. Um, I mean, I enjoy most of them, most of the fights, uh, but really not many of them, especially in the the Muscle Tower arc or portion of this arc, not many of them really challenge Goku, honestly. Uh, and even as you move into General Blue, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that General Blue really challenged Goku. I think General Blue had a gimmick and even his gimmick didn't work. I mean, I, I did like General Blue's gimmick, I liked him as a villain, but I agree with you. The, the, the fight wasn't terribly interesting and there's really, it's just overcoming the gimmick, right? There's no real back and forth. There's no vie for power. It's just whether you can, you can overcome the gimmick or not. And that doesn't make for the most interesting battle to watch. And unfortunately that's something that plagues this, this long arc at multiple occasions. And that's not to say that the, the the fighting isn't interesting. It is somewhat interesting, but you don't really get any big payoff. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, the now I will say, kind of moving into the latter chunk of this arc, I I really like the latter portion of this as I think once and I mean I enjoyed I enjoy this entire arc while it it has some lower points. When mercenary Tao comes into play, this changes everything. Mercenary Tao is maybe the first serious villain that kind of changes the stakes and changes the Dragon Ball formula as a whole because he whoops Goku's ass like no contest yeah and it's i mean that's the first time we've seen goku beaten that badly and someone actually like challenge goku on a serious level and we do need to bring up the fact that mercenary tao travels by throwing pillars and riding them that is cool as hell stylish as fuck man like 10 (laughs) out of 10 points for style for mercenary tao (laughs) it's super fun and they they do a good job of balancing that fun yet also you know he's a threat he's it's i don't know it's a balancing act between having fun and also having i guess risk and and danger involved at the same time yeah and that's kind of what we were talking about earlier where the the tone throughout this entire the original dragon ball the tone is slowly changing and kind of rationing up the the stakes and the tension and the drama and mercenary tao is the first big bad guy who feels dangerous i mean he he leaves goku for dead goku would have been killed if not for the four star dragon ball that partially blocked mercenary tao's dodon ray and so I mean, this guy, I mean, and this is immediately following Mercenary Tao murdering Upa's father. Like, the, I think the first, the first serious death in the series. I mean, you could kind of count the little monster thing that Goku kills in Muscle Tower, the pink guy. But this is the first traumatic human death. Yeah, somebody who we at least kind of know, a character that we've we've met and spoken to and is friendly. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a big deal. That is a shift in tone right there. Everything's kind of been fun in games up until this point, really. And I mean, if if this is the show, I guess, letting you know that characters can die, something bad can happen to you. And now that's that's in play and you have to keep that in mind going forward. Yeah, and this completely changes kind of Goku's reason for gathering the dragon balls at first it was just to get his four-star ball back uh because he wanted his grandpa's ball back but this turns into him now fighting against the red ribbon army for the dragon balls to get all of them so he can wish back upa's father so this once again ratchets ratchets is ratch ratchets ratchets up the stakes (laughs) And uh, it, it pushes the tension forward with Goku and the Red Ribbon Army even further. Yeah, and I mean, it's Goku also uh, kills General Tao. And that's something that I don't think the show does a, an excellent job of showing Goku dealing with that. It just kind of happens and then Goku bounces off and maybe Goku doesn't even really understand or care about what he did. But it's I mean, it's interesting. Goku basically killed somebody. Yeah, and it's 
I mean, as we're watching this arc, like once we finish this arc, we believe that Goku has killed Mercenary Tao. We do find out later that that's not entirely the case. But in this moment, Tao is dead, at least to the audience. Uh, so yeah, and and Goku again, he's he's still a kid here. He's maybe thirteen now. Uh, so that's that's a that's a big deal. He freaking kicks a grenade at the guy. Um, <laughs> And to say nothing of the fact that this adult male threw a grenade at a 13 year old child, but the, yeah, the, the show has certainly changed um, in in my opinion for the better. Yeah. And it's, I, I like the way the show's heading. I, I really liked how as a character too. So that was definitely a high point in this arc. Yeah. His brutal dispatchment of general blue with his fucking tongue stab to the temple (laughs) like uh, that that image will never leave my mind (laughs) it's it's amazing it's so fun it's i mean it's fun but also it's a change of tone at the same time it's it's we're in the transition phase right now and i love it yeah absolutely uh and i mean this the entire art kind of ends with goku uh i mean in our minds killing tau and then being like Man, I really don't like the rest of the Red Ribbon Army. I'm gonna go fuck up their base and just I, I like that part is super cathartic. It's not entertaining necessarily from like a a fighting like a good fight point of view, but it's really fun to watch Goku just demolish this entire army. <laughs> yeah, as he's just dodging missiles and just ki- I mean, not killing, maybe killing. Who knows? Just defeating soldiers in in bunches. And he's just going through this base, just mowing them down. And it gets so bad to the point where people start losing morale and you see them start fleeing. And then that leads up to, and I, this actually caught me off guard, uh, Commander Red being betrayed and killed on camera. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, I, I get all their titles wrong. Uh, Staff Officer Black, I think it is. Um yeah, he he straight up takes a gun and murders Commander Red because Commander Red wanted the Dragon Balls not for world domination, but so that he could get a little bit taller. <laughs> just a little bit. He was going to be modest with his wish. Yeah, just a few inches. Nobody will notice. Uh, but that, I mean, it again, like like you said, Dayton, that's a very Dragon Ball thing with this sort of like goofy wish that this guy wants the Dragon Balls for. And he's literally murdering people for this wish that he mm-hmm. has. Um, and by the end of it, Goku's friends show up to help him and Goku's already beaten the entirety of the army. And they're just like, you are a 13 year old boy and you just took on the, the strongest army in the world. Like what can you not do? <laughs> I mean, if anything, it kind of, kind of sets the expectations for Goku at this point. It puts him in, in a league of his own and conventional weapons, they're not going to work anymore. It's, it's martial arts from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, we've, we've kind of covered the, the ins and outs of this arc. I, I think I agree with you, Dayton, about how it has lots of highs and lows, but is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the scoring? No, I think, uh, I think we're ready to dive into that. So what did, what did you think about it, Todd? What, what score are you going to give it? Well, in terms of my feelings about it, I like the action. Uh, I it's 
it's very different from the first arc, the Sun Goku arc. And it does have these parts in the middle that just feel, I don't know, like maybe the pacing is bad or it even has the little bit of a filler with Dr. Slump that I did not feel was appropriate. Oh, I blocked that out. I forgot about Dr. Slump. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that definitely is drags it down for me, but it also has some, a unique sort of action to it. Getting to see Goku just fight all these different soldiers uh, and the shift in tone with mercenary Tao and bringing in character death and showing that the Dragon Balls can resurrect people. Uh, all of that is is really interesting in terms of the tone and the storytelling. And so overall, I enjoyed this arc and I ended up giving it a seven out of ten. OK, yeah, I I mean, there were points that I did really enjoy. And you're right. That final battle was fantastic. Uh, Tao is just a fantastic character and the tonality shift is really good. I also felt like this arc could have accomplished the same thing in almost half the episodes and really condensed it into something that was, I guess, just better to consume. I This arc felt like it did drag on a long time for me. I felt like we spent 10 episodes just swimming around in the water looking for stuff. And I, I mean, the highs are really high. Tao definitely brings it up a notch for me. But because the I don't think the highs or lows outweigh each other, I give this one a five out of 10. I think this was a fairly run of the mill arc for a lot of it. And there were some good highs, but there were also some pretty low lows. And I don't I can't separate them out enough to say that I enjoyed this more than I didn't enjoy this. I don't blame you. Honestly, this was probably one of the hardest arcs for me to give a rating because it's some of the parts of it are so vastly different. Like I think honestly, Tao Tao is the reason I gave it a seven. He, he ratchets this arc up for me significantly. I think he's just a great villain and I really like the way that he's implemented and he's, I mean, there are a lot of great villains through Dragon Ball, but he is like the first. He's almost like the archetype that they use for villains moving forward, which is, I think, probably why I rated it so high. Yeah, and I I agree with that. He's he's the first like big baddie. If Pilaf was the first baddie, then this is the first actual one. And, you know, it's it's a cutthroat show at this point, or at least it can be. And like we've talked about a lot, that tonality shift is something you have to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I I don't blame you for giving it a lower score. It's uh it drags a little bit. So I think as a recap, that makes it Todd or my score as a seven, Dayton's score as a five, and the instant transmission score as a six for the Red Ribbon Army arc. And with the Red Ribbon Army wrapped up, that brings us straight into the Baba Tournament arc. Determined to locate the final Dragon Ball, our heroes travel to meet Master Roshi's sister, Baba, who could reveal to them its location. The fee for the fortune is extreme, and payment comes in the form of a martial arts tournament against Baba's classic horror movie-themed champions. Defeating these champions... And briefly reuniting with Grandpa Gohan, the seventh Dragon Ball is located and Goku is now able to resurrect Upa's father. Yeah, that's uh, 
the synopsis, I'm going to go ahead and just kick this one off by, I don't think this arc was necessary. Man, this is a weird one. Like, in some ways, it feels like a continuation of the Red Ribbon Army arc, if only because by the end of the Red Ribbon Army arc, they've collected six of seven Dragon Balls. This arc, they're trying to find the seventh so that they can resurrect Upa's father. So it continues the through line story, which I think is a good thing in a way. But it just feels weird, like the radar can't find the Dragon Ball, so they have to use Baba to try to find it. And Baba is only going to let them do that by either giving a an absurd amount of money or fighting in this tournament. It feels maybe a little bit forced as far as the tournament goes, but it also gives us some interesting fighting kind of with some of the monsters. I don't know. I felt weird about it. Yeah, I felt kind of weird, too. It's I mean, if if you just give them all seven Dragon Balls, are we really missing out on anything by not going through all the stuff with Baba, which don't get me wrong. I like Baba as a character. I like her existing in the world. She's interesting. Um, her dynamic with Roshi is awesome. So, I mean, I'm glad for all of that. But this or make this a single episode or something like that. It's the fact that it's a, a three or four episode mini arc that doesn't. Oh, no, it's longer than that. It's like a 10 episode arc. OK, yeah, I forgot how long this was. Oh, buddy. Yeah. So this is a this is a lot of time to spend on something that, in my opinion, doesn't really matter. I mean, the fighting wasn't terrible, but it wasn't really great either as far as animation quality and choreography. And I mean, the best thing I can say about it is that I thought the um, the different fighting arenas that they were in were really cool. Yeah. I mean, I I like the monsters. I like some of their unique abilities, which is something that OG Dragon Ball does really well. And I, I mean, it, it is tied into the story. Uh, the fact that they have to fight in a tournament is a little bit awkward. Baba is great. I agree with you about that, Dayton. Um, it, it, it feels like a way to get Baba involved in the story or maybe just a another kind of like side quest for the dragon balls. I don't know. I, honestly, uh, what makes this arc worthwhile for me, I think is the ending. I think, well, the ending to the tournament, because Goku getting the chance to be reunited with his dead grandfather is, is brilliant. I think we've talked about this in the the episode covering this arc where the execution maybe could have been done a little bit better. But the the idea that Goku gets to speak with his grandfather and have this moment of closure and his grandfather gets to see the young man that Goku has become, it's it, it's a beautiful moment. I really love that part of this arc. Yeah, and it's I mean it's the only, I guess, close person Goku had for the majority of his life. And it, the unveiling of Grandpa Gohan was fantastic. And you get the, the running teary eyed scene where Goku can't control himself. And I like all of that. The only thing I wanted was more than just like a 30 second smattering back and forth before he left. I wanted just a little bit more meat to that, that situation. 
Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think it could have been handled a little bit better, but it's it's still a beautiful moment. I mean, throughout the rest of the the previous arcs, Goku is constantly chasing down that Dragon Ball, that four star Dragon Ball. So we know we we understand as the audience what his grandfather meant to him. Uh, and so the fights are mediocre. There, there's some little interesting bits. It feels a little bit awkwardly placed. Uh, I like the Grandpa Gohan moment. This is another one that's like a real mixed bag for me. Yeah, for for me, I well, let's just go ahead and get into scores so that way we can we can explain where we're at, Todd. Yeah, let's do it. I I think I've given a pretty good uh, recap or covering of how I feel about it for the most part. It's it's hard to it's hard to really really like this arc because it feels too much like a side quest. Um, but it is wrapping up the story that we started in the Red Ribbon Army arc, and it's giving us a really good moment with Goku and Grandpa Gohan. So because I'm a little bit of a sucker for that, like kind of heartfelt moment, I did give this a little bit of a higher score than I otherwise would. And I gave it a five out of 10. And that's fair because that that Grandpa Gohan moment is a it's I mean, one of the highlight moments of the series, you could say it's the reuniting of of Goku with the closest person he's ever had in his life. For me, though, if that scene was done a little bit Better is not the correct word. If they would have spent more time on it, because I think it was done well. I just wanted more time on it. I wanted it to be a change of pace and slow it down. And it's Goku and Gohan for a minute. But I I feel like I didn't quite get that. I also feel like this t- entire tournament was not necessary. If they just get all seven Dragon Balls and then we skip all of this, I think it's more or less the same show. And for me, I have to keep that in mind, especially since the fighting was, I think, like we both said at this point, the fighting was kind of mediocre. I'm going to have to give this one a three out of 10. I don't really have a strong desire to really like watch this arc again if I had to pick one of them out of the original Dragon Ball series. Yeah, I again, I don't blame you. Uh, I mean, the last two arcs you've given uh, a little bit lower than I have. And I, I completely understand why you would, um, this one, I, it was the grandpa Gohan moment that got me, I think. And the fighting's at least the powers are interesting. So, (laughs) yeah, it's, I mean, you get to see the mummy using all of his, uh, his, his mummy cloth on people. Yeah. His wraps and stuff. But as a recap for the scoring, Todd or my score was a five. Dayton's score was a three, and that makes the average instant transmission score a four out of ten for the Baba tournament arc. And with Baba's tournament one and all the Dragon Balls in hand, uh, well, I guess they they wish for Uba's father back. And then Goku goes on to the solo training arc which Goku travels the lands on his own, solving problems for regular folk and pushing himself to his limits in preparation for the next World Martial Arts Tournament. 
During his journeys, he bumps into the seemingly evil Tien and Chaozu, who seem to have bad intentions in mind. And this is a really short arc. This is only four episodes. And it's, I mean, it's four episodes of Goku going around trying to help people and bumping into the bad guys who are Tien and Chaozu in this one. I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this one because I don't think a ton really happens in it. There's not a lot to say about this one. In my opinion, this is basically all filler except for probably the last episode that connects the story to Tien and Chaozu and showing them kind of being assholes. And that's going to connect with our next story arc. But otherwise, I mean, you could skip the first three episodes of it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you probably could. I mean, the only thing it does is it's a little bit more world building, which I don't know if we need, but it's there. We see some, you know, interesting opponents, I guess, but it's not really meaningful. So the what is it? The guy who traps people in his lamp or whatever. Um, yeah, it's. It's not terribly important, but it is Goku traveling around helping people, Goku doing Goku things. I don't think it adds much to the story, but it, to me, it doesn't detract too much either. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of a, a I guess, just neutral filler, if you want to call it that. More or less. I mean, honestly, I'm okay with moving to the scoring for this one, if you are. Yeah, go for it. Go ahead and get it started. I... I don't like this arc. <laughs> I'm going to be That's flat fair. out. That's fair. It, it, it's, and it's, this is a tiny little arc. Like this is kind of a connecting piece between the Baba tournament and the, the next arc, which is going to be another world martial arts tournament. Uh, and it, it, like you said, Dayton, it's kind of fleshing out the world a little bit. I'm, I'm just not a fan though. I think honestly, you could cut out the first three episodes of this arc, watch the last one, and you'd still basically get the same experience. So I ended up giving this a three out of 10. Yeah, and I wasn't very far off from you. Um, I felt the same way. It's kind of fillery. Um, there's really nothing to really gain from it. However, I've seen, especially in anime in general, so many freaking filler episodes and much longer arcs and so I was a little bit more generous than you, and I gave it a four out of ten for at least wrapping up quickly. I mean, I'll give you that. It's it's <laughs> short filler at least. <laughs> so it's it doesn't really add anything, but it doesn't really detract too much. So we'll, we're just gonna give it a four and call it a day there. But I think, yeah, yeah, oh, oh yeah. Wow. I mean, we're. <laughs> I think we're of a similar mind on that one for the most part. But as a recap, that makes it Todd or my score a 3 out of 10, Dayton's score a 4 out of 10, and the Instant Transmission score a 3.5 out of 10 for the solo training arc. And with the solo training done, that leads us into the 22nd World Martial Arts Tournament, or the TN arc. Trading is wrapping up and our heroes make their way to the 22nd World Martial Arts Tournament. The Crane School, including Tian and Chaozu, arrive and the rivalry, rivalry between the Turtle and Crane Schools is on full display. Roshi is able to change the heart of Tian despite Tian winning their match. And after a vicious battle with Goku, Tian is crowned the winner of the tournament by the narrowest of margins. And I gotta say, as somebody who started at Dragon Ball Z, this 
arc made me really appreciate Tien as a character. I love his character growth, development, and I like where he ends up by the end of it and all the emotions that were on display by him throughout all of his inner turmoil. I honestly thought that this was a fantastic arc. Yeah, I mean, I I very much agree with you. I don't think that there's a, at least in the original Dragon Ball, there's a single tournament arc that I don't think is very good, if not better. Um, this, again, connecting the the drama and the, the character growth and story arc all connected to the fighting uh and it's it's really well done we're we're following the story of tn who is kind of a shitbag honestly at the very beginning of this and and you could kind of roll chaotzu up in there too uh and they they're with this rival school the the crane school to the turtle school and they all they want to do is prove their superiority and they don't give a shit how they do it. They will go to any lengths, any underhanded tactics and master Roshi goes out of his way to try to save this young man and almost kind of, kind of save his soul uh, as he's kind of been led down the wrong path by uh, master Shen of the crane school. Yeah, and in Roshi's match against Tien, it's the fighting is good, but the conversation that they're having during that fight is what's even better about it. It's Roshi more or less kind of coaching Tien out of his his mindset, getting pulling him away from the Crane School's teachings. And we start seeing that Tien's actually not really a bad guy. He's just kind of been taught to do bad things. But at the same time, Tien's been brought up since a really young age to think that way and to fight that way and to achieve progress that way. And it's not easy for him to let go of everything he's done his entire life up until that point. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it, it feels real, right? Like it's, I mean, people are changing all the time, but when you've lived a certain way for the better part of your life and you've been taught to live that way, it's not easy to just change at the drop of a hat. I mean, it, it takes work. It takes time. It, it takes effort. And I mean, Master Roshi throughout this entire tournament is kind of like breaking down those walls, tearing down that barrier that is keeping Tien on the side of uh, asshattery versus the side of being, you know, a decent human being. And I think, when Master Roshi as Jackie Chun steps out of the ring during the semifinals fight against Tien, that's when Tien finally is kind of like questioning his his upbringing, questioning his master, questioning his his morals and his life choices. And he kind of goes into that fight against Goku. Like he, he wants to beat Goku. He wants to beat the turtle school, but there's something nagging him in the back of his head about the way that he's going about it. Yeah. And he's, he's at odds with himself about what he's been taught and what he knows is right in his heart. And there's a scene that really kind of displays that, that change in heart when 
Tien gets a few just vicious blows into Goku, and he catches on that Master Crane has been influencing Chaozu to get involved in the fight. And once Tien figures this out, he just, he loses it. He screams at them to lay off and that this is his fight and he's done with it. And he even lets Goku get in a hit on him to even out the odds. It's showing that change in character and about how this fight isn't for for pride or anything like that. It's for, I don't know, the salvation of his soul, kind of like what you said. It's it's to prove him, his character and himself, not not the crane school or any anything else. Yeah. And I mean, this this fight wraps up. I mean, Goku, Master Roshi has stepped out of this fight already. And Master Roshi's goal, even in joining the tournament this time, was once more to kind of stop his students from winning that gold medal from being at the top of the mountain uh, because he's, he still thinks they're not ready for that yet. I and, also love that that two tournaments in a row now, they have given us very compelling reasons to root against Goku. And I think that is ex- exceptional story writing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to not even say anything of the fact that, like, it's it's kind of against the traditional trope uh, of, like, you know, the the good guy always wins. Goku doesn't win the first tournament. Nor does he win the second tournament, <laughs> which that honestly shocked me. I had no idea that that was going to happen. So when we get to the end and I mean, it's a brawl between these two and it comes down to, well, Goku getting hit by a car that I mean, oh, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I love this tournament. I think it's also just because starting from Dragon Ball Z, I really had no feelings towards Tien. He was always just kind of a side character. I mean, he was kind of neat, but he was never really given that the time of day very often. And to see who he was, who he actually was in Dragon Ball, it's I mean, it's going from zero to 100 as far as respect for a character. He's got a great arc. I mean, admittedly, Akira Toriyama has a hard time sometimes once he's completed a character's story arc, figuring out what to do with them beyond that. So, and that's kind of what you see with TN in Dragon Ball Z. But if you get TN's original story from bad guy to kind of middling good guy to good guy, like it's it's a great redemption arc. Uh, and it's it's really fun to see his origins. And I think we talked about it before, Dayton, where even though Tien won this tournament, he, I think he comes away feeling differently about that victory than he otherwise would. If, if Master Roshi hadn't talked to him and tried to tear down those walls, I mean, he, he otherwise would have just been like, yeah, I'm the best, you know, <laughs> like, but he he doesn't even feel like he really won the tournament. It, it's just such a big change in his character. Well, and he even mentions that he knows Goku would have beat him had it not been for Goku colliding with something on the way down. It's that little bit made that one inch difference. And so Goku was was crowned the leader, right? Or crowned the victor. And Tien, he hangs on to that. I think he even tells Goku that he's he's going to rematch him and beat him at the next tournament, except this time there's not going to be any question about it. 
Yeah, he doesn't want it to be kind of win by default almost. Uh, or, I mean, if you want to talk about interference with Master Shen, in a way, the car kind of interfered in this scenario too. So <laughs> that's fair. It, it's like a weird, it's a weird victory, but it's it's an interesting one. Like getting to see them soaring across the city and Goku hits the ground first because he hits a car. Uh, and Tien had passed by it. Like it, it's not something that I ever would have even thought of or considered when I saw these two start this fight. Yeah. And I, for me, I really was trying to come up with some critiques for this arc. And the, the couple best I could come up with is that the, Earlier stages aren't the most interesting fights. There aren't very many creative techniques and it's, it's not that compelling. You're kind of waiting for things to get going, even though they get really good once they get going, but it's, it's kind of a little bit of a wait for the prelims to get through and that sort of thing. But, and I mean, gosh, I can't even critique much because when you even think about the, I guess the, the move variability in the fights, we get to see TN busting out all of his different moves, including multi-arm form and uh, just key blasts that we haven't seen before. And it, I mean, it's a lot of, and when Chaozu enters the ring and he uses the, the flying technique, that's kind of a mind blow right there. Cause nobody can fly at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so interesting to see all of this fighting, uh, with these new characters, new techniques. And I mean, we kind of got to see a little bit of that with Jackie Chun and even some of the other fighters in the first tournament, but it is, I mean, it's taken to 11 in this tournament with all the different combatants from different schools, um, more key techniques. I think the, I mean, we got to see the Dodon Ray from Matt, from mercenary Tao previous, but getting to see those become more prevalent uh, with like the, the tri beam and everything it's, it, it's showing us again, it, it's kind of a nod to the direction that the show and even just the fighting is going to go moving forward. Yeah. But was there, was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we gave this one a score? No, I think, I think we can go ahead and probably score this one as far as my feelings on this one. Like you said, Dayton, it, it's it's again, it's hard to find things to not like about this one. Honestly, I think. I think when I was scoring some of these earlier arcs, I was thinking about the animation and the fights and how they continue to improve. So I think that if I want to look to anything for why I maybe knocked off points on some of these earlier arcs, it's because I, I already know how great the fighting gets and how good the animation gets as it improves over time. So really that's, it might be the only reason I knocked off points for some of these earlier arcs. Uh, there's, like you said, Dayton, it's it's hard to even point to anything in this one that I would say is is bad. Some of the some of the fights are maybe less interesting than others, but most of them are pretty damn engaging and bring a lot to the table in terms of fight choreography and unique 
techniques. Um, but I ended up giving this one a eight out of 10. So I'm right there with you. It's, it's, I mean, there's not a lot for me to critique on this. And the only thing I could critique is that we have, there is better fighting animation in the original Dragon Ball series. We've seen longer choreographed scenes that are animated to a higher level. But for me, that could have been a budget thing that, and a lot of the stuff I'm going, going to compare it to come later in the series. And so it's hard for me to knock it for something that happens later when maybe that budget went up as the series went on, went on. who knows? But I mean, I absolutely love this arc. I'm giving this one a nine out of 10, the same score I gave the previous world martial arts tournament. I think it's, it's almost perfect dragon ball. And I really love it. I, man, I'm blown away every time they have a world martial arts tournament. And I mean, well, we'll, we'll see if the third one's as good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I think I gave the last one an eight and this one an eight and you gave them both nine. So I, I think we're both largely on the same page there. These, these two tournament arcs are phenomenal, but as a recap, that kind of that makes it Todd or my score an eight out of ten. Dayton's score a nine out of ten. And that gives us the instant transmission score of eight point five out of ten for the twenty second World Martial Arts Tournament or the TN arc. Yeah, and with that arc ended, that brings us into the Demon King Piccolo arc. And yeah, after the tournament, but before our fighters can even get in a meal, Krillin is found dead. The Demon King Piccolo is revealed to have returned and is rampaging across the earth in his conquest for his new evil empire. After wishing for restored youth, Goku quests to become stronger and eventually achieves that strength and overtakes the evil king in this story arc. And right away, I want to say I love the way they did king piccolo he really does feel like a bad guy a dastardly dude mercenary tau might kill a person maybe a couple people piccolo will destroy entire cities he is an absolute just human i guess tornado to reference other anime <laughs> <laughs> and i mean I, I agree with you it's to me Again, Mercenary Tao is kind of like the the first really bad villain and kind of that archetype that will be used moving forward. Demon King Piccolo is taking that archetype and ratcheting it up to 11 again. He's the the stakes are getting higher. Demon King Piccolo is killing multiple people. I mean, one of the first things that he does, not even him, one of his minions does is kill one of our main characters, kills Krillin. And so, and just continues to murder martial artists, destroy cities. Like the the tension and the the stakes have never been higher than this one. Yeah, and it this isn't just another, another Goku's going to rush in and save the day kind of situation. Goku actually kind of gets his butt kicked he actually encounters Piccolo's what, minions who whoops him. 
knocks him to the ground, nearly kills him. Goku's not even strong enough to beat Piccolo's minions, let alone Piccolo at the start of this arc. Yeah, I mean, it. there's a lot of growth that has to happen for Goku in this arc. And I, I guess I don't necessarily mean character growth, but more so just power. Uh, he, he needs to train and he needs to gain power. Uh, and so he, he does that. Now, I will say one of my knocks against this arc is one of the ways in which Goku gains some additional power because we didn't really touch on it, but in one of the previous arcs where Goku trains with Korin, uh, I believe in the Red Ribbon Army arc, right after Mercenary Tao defeats him, he trains with Korin. He chases Korin around trying to get this sacred water, which is Korin says is this is this will you know increase your power significantly if you drink this water. But Korin is the obstacle. Korin keeps the water away from Goku in a game of keep away. Uh, and then when Goku actually catches Korin, Goku drinks the water, and Korin's like, "Ha! Just kidding. It's just fake water." Um, and so they it's a great lesson it's basically saying like oh you you put in the work and that's really how you gain the strength but mm-hmm. in this arc <laughs> they they flip that on its head and they kind of go back on their own moral lesson and they're like okay well here's the real sacred water and this one actually does make you stronger <laughs> you know and them going back on their own lesson they literally go back on it with the same character and the same idea it's it's hard not to overlook. And so Goku goes and he gets this super god water. And I thought it was gonna be another quest like that, right? It was gonna be another, you know, go get this MacGuffin, but the the training is actually the journey, not the not not what's at the end of it. But no, this this was Goku's power up. He gets the super god water, and then that kind of introduces him to I believe he's able to kind of sense key a little bit once he drinks that super god water. And that's I mean, that's important down the road, but it's, I thought, I mean, that's interesting. That's the type of power that really affects this show going forward for years, but I don't really like how he got it. And that, that really did bother me. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like Demon King Piccolo, but there's a number of things in this arc that rub me just a little bit wrong. I mean, there's a number of times, like you said, Dayton, where Goku gets beaten by, by a minion of King Piccolo, by King Piccolo himself. And there's a few scenarios where Goku kind of gets out of them and survives where it just feels, it doesn't feel quite right. It feels like the, the bad guys should have finished him off. Uh, And he kind of like, it it just happens too many times in this single arc where Goku is kind of let off the hook instead of being murdered. Uh, I think it happens once with Tambourine and then once with King Piccolo. There might even be another time if I'm not mistaken. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there might be. I mean, it's we're we're getting Beerus levels uh, of Goku coming back in this this one arc right here. And I mean, it's such a shame too because the one thing I think that this this story arc right here does as good, if not better, than most of the other arcs in in this series is building suspense. They really set the table very well and you feel like the world is at risk and you have a reason to 
root for the good guy to take down the bad guy. And I mean, they they do everything so well. It's just the payoff is just not quite there. And it's kind of fumbled a little bit with the execution, which is a shame because Piccolo's a great character. His minions are dastardly and despicable. And I mean, it should. I'm just a little I'm not mad. I'm just a little disappointed. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. And I mean, man, I. King Piccolo even goes so far as to collect the Dragon Balls because he wants to wish for his youth back. He's old at this point. And our heroes try to stop him in a moment where Goku, one of the moments where Goku is dispatched, uh, Master Roshi, Tien, Chaozu, they all try to stop uh, Piccolo with Master Roshi even using the evil containment wave and failing. And I love seeing the but, origin of that move, by the way. that was That's actually a lot of fun. It is really good. So there are great moments in this, which, I mean, that entire scenario results in Master Roshi dying, Chaozu dying, uh, and even a callback to Chaozu trying to, like, step in to make a wish uh, when Shenron is... Um, is summoned just like Oolong did in the very first arc. Great callback. Uh, and it it all kind of, but it all kind of results in a, oh, I got an alarm. Hang on. <laughs> it all kind of, I mean, it, these are all great moments. Um, it's, it's great to see the stakes driven up once more. Multiple characters dying. Like, how are they going to resolve this? Especially because King Piccolo then kills Shenron. So the Dragon Balls can't even bring people back at this point. Like the amount of drama and even just terror that you feel with King Piccolo in this arc is really, really good. Yeah. And I think for me, a lot of my love for this arc is carried by how they handled King Piccolo's buildup. I think a lot of my love for this arc comes from just watching him be an actual bad guy make me hate. And I understand why he's doing the bad things he's doing. They give me his motive and why he's being such a bad guy. And like, I understand it, but you're still a jerk, which is my favorite kind of bad guy. And I, oh man, it's they all the right elements were there. They were just assembled incorrectly. And this is, this is probably one big thing with this arc is that it's, it's not as good as it should have been. And that's what I keep coming back to is everything was there. You had all the right elements, but it just, it didn't execute right. And I mean, so I agree with you. King, King Piccolo ends up getting his youth. Goku, you know, gets his power ups and everything. And Goku goes back and fights him. Goku then basically being superior, uh, King Piccolo kind of like, finding ways to trick his way into a near victory, uh, disabling Goku and then Goku punching a hole through King Piccolo. Honestly, though, in a show that is, especially at this point in the show, largely focused on fighting. The fights in this arc are pretty disappointing. I I can't honestly, even the King Piccolo fight, I can't point to a single fight in my head right now that I was like, that was a really cool fight. Yeah, and even just Piccolo really didn't use any very unique move sets. And 
I mean, Goku's whole thing was that he had drank the the super god water, so he's just stronger now. And so the fight was kind of a, a disappointment, right? And I think every good fight should ha probably have stages to it. Every boss fight should have multiple stages where you're testing each other out, you're pushing each other to the limits, and then you end it. And honestly, there wasn't much of that to this fight. And I mean, even then, Piccolo's, I guess, defeat was just kind of weird. I don't know. It there wasn't as much tension in that final moment as I felt there should have been. It's, I mean, it's all right, but I think, I think I'm ready to give it a, a, a score at this point. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, we've talked this one up, up and down quite a bit. I, I like this arc as a premise and I even had very fond memories of this arc. I'll be honest. My score might reflect the fact that, I had almost hyped myself up to rewatch this arc and I even hyped Dayton up, unfortunately, but I, I watched it again with, you know, excitement in my heart and I came out disappointed. It, it did not hold up to my memory of the arc. And so as a result, I ended up giving this arc a six out of 10. And I don't have that memory that you have, but at the same time, it's it's Piccolo. It's one of the, the most important characters in the entire Dragon Ball series. And I don't I do think that this arc did itself a disservice by having such good buildup with not very great payoff. And I was left, I guess, kind of in a similar boat where afterwards I kind of wanted more. It wasn't what it should have been for you. It wasn't what you you remembered it to be. For me, it wasn't what I was expecting. And so I actually ended up at the exact same spot. I gave it a six out of 10. It's better than just an average Dragon Ball arc, but not by much. Yeah, yeah, I think we we kind of came to the same conclusion just for different, uh, slightly different reasons, slightly different experience with the arc, I guess. But I think we mostly felt the same about it. Like it. It should have been better. It's great on paper. Uh, and it just, they didn't land that execution, unfortunately. I mean, it's like a, a, a very expensive filet mignon cooked like super well done. It's just like, mmm, mmm, all the right elements were there, but that execution. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So as a recap, Todd or my score was a 6 out of 10. Dayton's score was a 6 out of 10, which makes the instant transmission score a 6 out of 10 for the Demon King Piccolo arc. And with the Demon King defeated, that brings us to the Heavenly Training arc. And Goku returns to Korin's tower and is introduced to Earth's guardian Kame and Mr. Popo. Goku's actions have moved Kame, and he decides to restore the Earth's Dragon Balls so the people slain by King Piccolo can be resurrected. This comes with a contract, though, as Goku must agree to train for three years under his tutelage. Piccolo's offspring will show himself at the next World Martial Arts Tournament, and our young hero spends these years preparing for their next encounter. And I'm not going to lie, this training arc should have been really, really good. And it just was really weird for me. It kind of missed the itch on almost every level except for a couple. 
I pretty much feel the exact same way. I do also have to interrupt this arc briefly to double back and just point out that we gave the Demon King Piccolo arc scores of 666. <laughs> Hail Mr. Satan. Hail Mr. Satan. <laughs> but yeah, this <laughs> this arc when when I really went through it and looked at it, I kind of got those same feelings I had the first time I watched it where there's this expectation that Goku's going to be I mean, he's going to be training under God, basically, and it's, I mean, I don't know what to expect. What What's going to happen? Well, he spends the entire time training under Mr. Popo, which was fine at the beginning, but I don't think we hardly get any training scenes, or maybe none at all, with Kame and Goku. I don't think they have hardly any interaction. There are none. I mean, they, there's a really cool scene, in my opinion, where Goku meets Kami for the first time and he mistakes him for King Piccolo because, as we know now, the two are one and the same. They're the same entity or, you know, for Dragon Ball Z people, they're both Namekians. Uh, but yeah, Kami does not train Goku at all outside of kind of overseeing the training that Popo is handing down to Goku. And honestly, to me, most of these little training episodes beyond the fact that Goku is training, they feel like filler. They feel like filler, just like the solo training arc, which I didn't feel that way about training with Master Roshi. It no. felt, it felt, important it felt like it was interesting and it felt like you know this is part of our character's progression and their growth uh and even bonding like goku and krillin bonding together uh, i but think these ones yeah i think there's a couple things i liked about it. like i do like goku learning to calm down and focus and you know, really think about his actions rather than what he's been doing this whole time, which is just always reactive and tense and, well, kind of, you know, approaching things like a child would, which is just keep trying until it works sort of thing. And and I like seeing Goku kind of calm down and mature and be taught to think about the energy. And I do like that they really hone in on his ability to sense key here as well. And I, there are some really good elements to this, but this shouldn't have been a uh, around 10 episode long arc. This should have been two or three episodes really honing in on the important stuff, but it was really dragged out. We're in the woods. Goku goes fishing. I, I don't know exactly what we're doing here or why we're spending all this time, but you could really boil this down to two or three episodes and, and just get the good stuff out of that. I probably would have liked it more, but there's also some spots where they just completely missed where we don't see a ton of the training that Goku actually goes through and we don't see much from Kame. And I, I do think that those are two, two areas where they kind of missed on. I completely agree. I, one of the things I like, well, two things I like about this in particular, I like getting to see how powerful Mr. Popo is. And I like that they give some explanations as to why Mr. Popo is so powerful. It's not, it's not just brute strength. Mr. Popo has a measure of control and efficiency over both his mind and his body. And that's what Goku's trying to learn here. This is, Goku's already strong in body. That's not what he's trying to train here necessarily. Goku needs to train his mind, which is going to, in the future, make him a much more well-rounded, 
not only martial artists, but just human being in general. Uh, and so, and I also, this is of course with hindsight of 30 or 40 years of Dragon Ball, <laughs> but, but I also really like that this kind of has a nod or a tie into Ultra Instinct uh, with Mr. Popu talking about clearing your mind and and i mean it's it's just a very i don't know what you want to call it zen or buddhist or martial artist sort of mindset in general uh but it's it's really cool to see that training kind of tie into something that has been in modern day dragon ball whether you know clearly well almost certainly not intentional from the old school aspect but even add to that the fact that Mr. Popo, while not a god himself, he is the attendant to a god in Kami. And Ultra Instinct is basically like the power of the gods. Uh, and so Goku is not only is this called the heavenly training arc, but Goku is doing godlike training, which is very akin to Ultra Instinct. So I think those tie-ins are just really fun. I mean, I, I just need a storyline where we and Mr. Popo meet because I would love to see their conversation. Oh, man, that would be such an interesting interaction. Because, <laughs> I mean, they they both have trained Goku and they would probably have a lot of stories to share and probably a lot of ragging on Goku for having the same weaknesses his entire life. Yeah, I mean, just Mr. Popo being like, I can't believe he hasn't figured out how to clear his mind yet. What a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I told him. I told him I did. I told him. And then I threw him into that room. <laughs> That would be excellent. <laughs> uh, but I, I could have pulled this off on a little bit of a tangent. Um, do you have anything else you want to say before we move into the scoring for this one, Dayton? No, let's go ahead and, and get this one scored because we we got we got something big next. Oh, yeah. So I feel very similarly to the way Dayton expressed about this. It's it's too long. It's too drawn out. Lots of missed opportunities. There's some good pieces in there, but not enough for me to really give this a good rating, honestly. So as a result, I ended up giving this a four out of 10. Yeah, and I was in the same spot. I was actually really contemplating whether I wanted to give it a three or a four. I was trying to find a, a strong reason to pull it in either direction because there, there are some things I like. There, it does feel fillery to me, but there isn't really anything that's so egregious that I really dislike it. So I kind of went with just, uh, I mean, it's a below average, I guess, arc for me. I also gave it a four out of 10. I, I didn't know where to stick it. It could have easily have been a three, but I, I went with a four. I kind of was in the same boat. I, I, I think I almost gave it a three, and then I think I even changed it at one point. I was like, eh. Because it it feels like filler, but there are there's good elements in there. Um, but as a recap, Todd or my score was a four out of ten. Dayton's score a four out of ten, and the instant transmission score a four out of ten for the heavenly training arc. And that leads us into the twenty third World Martial Arts Tournament, or the Piccolo Junior Arc. Goku finishes his training with Kame and Popo and arrives at the 23rd World Martial Arts Tournament. Piccolo Jr. arrives, just as predicted, and after a grueling tournament full of previously seen characters, Goku must defeat Piccolo Jr., but he refuses to ignore the tournament rules. Goku fights Piccolo at a severe disadvantage and is nearly able to win the day. 
Piccolo is offered a sensu bean and unleashed back into the world because uh, Goku needs a rival. And then Goku <laughs> flies off with his fiance Chi Chi. I mean, what more is there to say? Well, a, a whole lot. <laughs> um, this one, this one is so huge. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to let you go ahead and start this one off because I don't know where to start at. Man, I'm going to just start by saying I love this arc. I this like where the Demon King Piccolo arc really let me down. This one like completely picked me back up. Uh, this is like. Not only is it a continuation of a previous arc, so we've got this kind of like returning villain in the reincarnation of Piccolo. Uh, he's he's brought in and presented really well, uh, very ominous. Uh, we get the reintroduction to, well, not our entire cast, but the big one being Goku, because Goku had a fucking glow up here. Uh, and it, it, it's done in a really cool way. He comes in, I think Dayton pointed out that he was dressed in clothes akin to his master, like Mr. Popo's clothes, his hair wrapped up. And so people are don't even know who it is, but he's, you know, six feet tall at this point. He looks like an adult. He's I think he's 17 years old here. Uh, so really cool introduction to Goku. Goku's character has changed. He's he feels more mature, but he still has that kind of childish quality to him. But he's also, as a martial artist, he's infinitely more knowledgeable. And he, it, it, that is not only, it's not told to us, it's shown to us in Goku's words and actions. Really, really well done. I mean, I could, I haven't even gotten to the tournament yet. I could gush about this arc on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And as soon as, as Goku first sees Piccolo, we see him kind of, I guess, get serious and we see him start focusing and we get this kind of side of Goku that wasn't really there before, which is also calm. He's serious, but calm and he's focusing and he's thinking about the fight. Whereas a younger Goku may have just gone charging into battle or going up to talk smack or something like that. But no, Goku's focused on the prize, and it shows that these last three years, has they've really honed him towards this one task, right? And he's also kind of bearing all this on his own. He doesn't want his friends to know that this is the reincarnation of Piccolo, and more the world's basically on the line right now, but Goku's bearing all of that himself. I mean... This is honestly, so it's been three years between kind of the the end of the the Demon King arc, uh, like the the heavenly training is kind of like a a montage in a way of like three years of training leading up to this tournament and also leading up to uh, meeting the reincarnation of Piccolo. And so really Goku's goal here. I mean, Goku's own personal goal is to win the fucking tournament because he's lost two. He wants to get <laughs> this win. Uh, but the kind of underlying goal here, especially the goal that was instilled in him by Kami, is to defeat Piccolo, Piccolo Jr., and keep Piccolo Jr. from either destroying the world or taking over the world. So, I mean, one feels a little bit more important than the other, but 
Goku might feel differently. <laughs> and I love Kami's role in this tournament too. The fact that he disguised himself and and well controlling the body of another human and kind of hid his way into the tournament. And I mean, he's just whooping ass this entire time. And we get the the big reveal where we figure out that he's Kame. And the reason that he showed up is because he didn't think Goku had the guts to do what he needed to do. And that really put a bow on top of the situation. And once he's, you know, contained by his by his own evil containment wave, I mean, the scene is set. The suspense is there. And I mean, it's great storytelling. You, it really got me wanting to watch the next episode as fast as I could. I mean, Piccolo goes through all of our heroes, right? He he beats Krillin. He beats Kami. And then he has to fight Goku. Uh, actually, does he beat? No, uh, Hero beats Yamcha. I was trying to think if Piccolo beat Yamcha too. But I mean, it, this is excellent. And to say, well... As we move into the fight with Goku against Piccolo, and I mean, even the fights before that, the fight choreography and the animation, incredible, absolutely top notch. The best that I've seen in all of Dragon Ball, some of the best that I've seen in Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, GT, Super, all of it. Uh, it's it's so, so well done. Super, I, I mean, just innovative, interesting. I mean, Goku using a Kamehameha to launch himself into the mouth of a giant piccolo to retrieve the swallowed container that is Kami having get been trapped in there with the de- de- evil containment wave. Uh, I mean, multiple different types of key attacks of true like key blast struggle between Goku and Piccolo endless awesome moments in this fight I can't gush enough about it yeah and I mean we get we get long choreographed scenes too it's not like there's a bunch of them trickled in some of them last for a, a couple minutes which is we we usually get a couple sequences in previous tournaments that look fantastic we had several sequences just stitched together that looked out of this world good the the scene where goku needs to dot he's in a grapple struggle with piccolo and he dodges under piccolo shooting lasers out of his eyes and then knocks piccolo back but piccolo had the stretchy arms and hangs on from far away and tilts goku off balance and slams him into the ground but then goku's able to break out of it and somersault up his arm oh my gosh it's just i mean it's fan it's you're right. I think it's some of the best animation we've seen in the entire Dragon Ball universe and in this tournament arc. It's it's out of this world good. I I would go back and just watch the YouTube clips of those animations. They're so good. Yeah. I mean, it, to say nothing of the fact that I mean, Goku releases Kami like and there are multiple times here. I mean, the the crowd at one point completely leaves they're like fuck this shit we're out because piccolo (laughs) is about to murder people with all of his explosive key blasts uh and goku's screaming at people to leave like get out of here all the while goku will not leave that goddamn tournament arena (laughs) no he's gonna win by the rules and announcer man never leaves the scene so he's there to enforce the rules and make sure that goku wins legally 
I love announcer man so much. And I mean, this is such a wild, like you, the stakes here have never been higher. The tension and the tone is ratcheted up to be super serious, but without losing that little bit of comedy. And I, I think most of the comedy here comes from the fact that Goku is still freaking worried about winning this stupid tournament because it means so much to him. Despite the fact that the world is in danger, his life is in danger. His friends' lives are in danger. <laughs> I mean, it's there's a scene where Piccolo just he charges up this just massive, massive key blast that could probably wipe out entire cities, and he launches it. And Goku takes it head on, a hundred percent. I feel because if he dodged it, he would leave the arena, and so he had to take it head on. I firmly yeah. believe that was his motivation. And they even take the time the animators after the the blast goes away and everything is just pretty much gone. It's a barren wasteland. There's still this tiny little sliver of the arena still under Goku's toe. It's so well done. Like the attention to detail here is incredible there. And there's, I mean, man, after Goku blasts Piccolo with a completely uncontested Kamehameha uh, with a near 10 count uh declaring goku the victor piccolo on count nine launches this visceral key blast from his mouth that puts a hole through goku's chest and shoulder it is possibly the most violent scene that we've gotten in at the up to this point in dragon ball and i mean the the screaming and pain that we get from goku and just seeing him on the ground in pain. And then later Piccolo even stepping on Goku's wound and grinding it into the ground. Like it makes Piccolo. I mean, he feels like this evil villain and it makes you hate him, but man, is it fun? I mean, I mean, I don't even know if fun's the right word. It's exciting to watch. And it's, I love Goku takes this injury the way he does because it's such a universal theme with Goku that he lets his guard down. He thinks he's won. He gets a little cocky and ahead of himself. And this is something that, I mean, all the way through Super, they're hammering home, but this goes back as far as original Dragon Ball. And it's kind of a theme with Goku that he, he gets ahead of himself. He stops thinking about the fight and just whenever he lets his guard down, he gets punished. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that Goku took this injury because of his own, I don't know, is arrogance the right word? I don't know if that's the right word, but it seems to fit. Yeah. Arrogance, ego, negligence. I mean, uh, <laughs> naivete, like there's a lot of ways that you could kind of describe it, but it's, it's a character flaw. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, spoilers, that character flaw ain't going away anytime soon. <laughs> And I mean, I'll even give this arc credit. I think they actually ended the series at the end of this arc in probably a really nice way. They have everything tied together. Piccolo's defeated, but Goku actually gives him a sensu bean because he needs somebody to fight, somebody who's on his level who can push him. Now, I think we briefly talked about this uh, at the end of our episode review of it, but... I mean, that seems kind of like a bad thing to do. Piccolo could probably kill a lot of people because you want a training partner, right? But it is very in line with Goku. 
And Kame wants Goku to be the guardian of Earth, but Goku wants nothing to do with that. He grabs his his hot Chi-Chi, throws her on his cloud, and zooms off. Like It would have been just such a, a perfect ending for the original Dragon Ball series right there. This arc nailed it. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we didn't even necessarily touch on, well, we briefly touched on the fact that this is not only closing off the the arc, uh, I mean, the story arc with King Piccolo, uh, the the entirety of Dragon Ball, but really Goku's character arc here. Because Goku... I mean, Goku started off strong, but he was taught martial artists as a young kid, even before the beginning of the show by his grandfather, and then continued shortly after the first arc to seek out Master Roshi to continue his martial arts training and become a better fighter, better martial artist. And that's kind of, I mean, that's a large part of his story arc where he then proceeded to participate in the World Martial Arts Tournament, took second place proceeded to participate again years later, took second place. And then in this third martial arts tournament where he puts his life and everybody else's lives on the line to win this goddamn tournament. And he fucking does it, man. It is super, super cathartic as the audience to see him finally get that win. Yeah. And it's such a clever way to keep it still lighthearted in a way, right? Everything's on the line. Uh, Piccolo's trying to kill him and everybody. I mean, I don't know how many people have died at this point, but probably a lot. Piccolo's blown up a lot of stuff, but they still find a way to kind of make you laugh. And that's, I, I think that's what makes Dragon Ball so uniquely Dragon Ball. There's always a reason why, you know, you can find a way to make somebody laugh. But it's got to fit within character, right? That is such a Goku move. And when it fits within character, it hits just right. I agree. It's one of the things that is so charming about Dragon Ball. And one of the reasons why I love it to death, even, you know, I'm almost 35 years old and I still love it. Like the fact that they can give you this serious story, you feel this tension, you feel this conflict and, you know, things like people's lives or even the entire planet or entire universes are on the line. And there's still this kind of goofy childlike feeling or tone to it that kind of like offsets all of this tension and drama and will, you know, make you giggle and laugh at it just a little bit. And that's, that's what makes me love Dragon Ball so much. So it's, it's fully on display here and I love it. It's really well done. I mean, is there anything else you want to gush about? Are you ready to to slap a score on this bad boy? <laughs> I think I can finally shut my mouth and put a score on this. So if you guys can't tell for me, I love this arc. It was very hard for me to try to find anything bad about it. I'm going to just briefly say the only thing that I could find was Chi-Chi. Some of the stuff of Chi-Chi is a little rough. like. Goku, you know, expressing feelings for Chi-Chi and saying, I'll marry you feels just a little bit awkward and a little bit forced. And that's probably the worst thing about this entire arc. And with that in mind, I couldn't even bring myself to knock it for that. That is such a small little detail. 
I gave this a full 10 out of 10. So when when I'm looking at an arc, I also try and compare it to I guess all the other Dragon Ball media that I've watched. I don't I don't do it to an intense degree. I'm not actively rating it, but I kind of keep it in mind when I'm coming up with these ratings. And when I looked at this arc and I got through to the end and I was struggling to find some critiques, I had to kind of sit down and go, all right, well, for me, I'm going to rate it very highly, but how does it rate against all the other Dragon Ball content I've seen within the context that it's a 30, 40 year old, you know, show at this point. And honestly, I think it keeps up with as far as quality goes it keeps up with the new stuff and just the story and the choreography. I think it blows out a lot of the new stuff. And so for me, it it was a pretty easy 10 out of 10. I, I literally could not find a good reason to knock a point off. And honestly, I agree with you about the Chi Chi thing, but unfortunately that is just a problem throughout the entirety of Dragon Balls. There's a lot of female characters aren't written well and side characters are also not written very well, but I'm going to go ahead and put that in just, I don't think the characters were done dirty in a way where I felt offended, but man, it's hard for me to not just absolutely love this and say that this is the, probably the pinnacle of Dragon Ball. It's up there. It's if we're looking at all the Dragon Ball, I guess, storylines that you can follow all the different arcs that you can watch. There's no way that this is not in the conversation is one of the greatest. Yeah, I I totally agree. And you actually brought up a really great point, Dayton, about comparing this to other elements of Dragon Ball. And I I think we both kind of went back and looked at some of the, the ratings that we gave the Dragon Ball Super arcs and kind of compared to these ones. And I mean, Super has a plethora of problems, but even comparing this to modern day Dragon Ball that I consider very good quality like comparing it to maybe some of the movies like the battle of gods i think is very good the broly movie i think is very good i agree with you dayton like i i'll i'd put this up there against those ones any day it's it's fantastic like especially i mean i come to dragon ball for the fighting let's be honest the fights in this one especially the goku piccolo fight I mean, I, it, I would have a hard time. Like there are other fights that I could compare to this one and be like, this is also a really good fight, but they'd be good in different ways. Like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say that this is not one of the best fights in all of Dragon Ball. I would argue maybe even all of anime. It's superb. Uh, I don't know. Did you want to say anything else before we recap the scores for this one? I, I mean, I think. I'm going to go ahead and say we should wrap this one up because I could sit here and just gush about it for another hour, but it's, uh, yeah. we're, we're getting to the end here and honestly, well, I'll talk about it in a second, but go ahead and wrap up the score here. All right. Quick recap for this one, since we've gushed about this one for a while. So Todd's score, 10 out of 10, uh, Dayton's score, 10 out of 10, and that makes the instant transmission score a full 10 out of 10. For the world 23rd World Martial Arts Tournament or the Piccolo Junior Arc. It's so it's so fantastic. And so unfortunately, that does lead us into the final 
story arc in the original Dragon Ball series, which is the wedding uh. dress arc. And we didn't discuss this beforehand, but neither of us really like this arc. It's kind of fillery and full of MacGuffins, and I don't think it adds really anything good anyway to to the Dragon Ball series. And so I would suggest that if you want to see our more detailed critiques of it, go ahead and watch the um our our last episode covering the Dragon Ball series. We'll go into much more detail on it there. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I, I mean, we had such a good time with the the tournament of power. I don't want these four or five episodes to really weigh in too heavily. But to give you the quick synopsis, the the Ox King's house catches on fire, and so Goku and Chi Chi have to find MacGuffins so they can get married. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> yep their their marriage is all of two frames roughly, so it's it's not even really worth the quest that they go on. But it's oh it's it's bad. I don't know. There's no real point to the story. There's no lessons learned. Chi Chi's not really given a good role in the entire thing, and we even get a scene with a uh, Grandpa Gohan that I think actually detracts from it, and actually it actually makes me actively dislike it. Yeah, it it's in my opinion this slaughters Chi Chi, Grandpa Gohan, and even Goku's character in many ways. So I think more or less you can tell we don't like it. Uh, it really sucks to go from probably the peak of Dragon Ball to what is probably the worst arc in Dragon Ball. Uh, so, but we separated them out so that we could you know kind of rate them accordingly, but. Honestly, I say we just move towards the scores for this one and get this one out of the way. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I think I think it's gonna be kind of obvious where we're headed. Yeah, I mean, even after saying all that, this this score might even sound a little bit silly, but I I gave this one a two out of ten. Oh, if only wow. because I know if only because there are a couple of cool fight sequences. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. Even those are like maybe five to ten seconds long. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you you were generous compared to me. I gave it a one out of ten. It's I, I didn't like the story. I didn't like the fact that we spent like five episodes trying to get MacGuffins to put out a fire. Um, I don't like what they did with Chi Chi. I don't like what they did with Gohan. Um, honestly, if you really care about the the Dragon Ball universe, just stop before the wedding dress arc. Just watch up until episode 148 and ignore 149 and beyond. You, you'll appreciate it. Yeah, I completely agree. It it, it does nothing for the story. Uh, but you can tell we're largely on the same page here with this one. I think probably most people would feel the same. But as a recap, uh, it's Todd's or my score at a 2 out of 10, Dayton's score at a 1 out of 10, which makes the instant transmission score a 1.5 out of 10 for the <laughs> wedding dress arc. That 0.5 makes the difference. People will know. Uh, that's right. They're like, oh, there's something here. There's something. Mm -hmm. We got to watch it. <laughs> got to find that 0.5. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, shoot. So, yeah, I think that, I mean... That wraps up all of our, our reviews and all the individual arcs. So I think at this point, we we rate the entire thing as a whole, right? Yeah, man. It feels weird to get to this point. But, I mean, we separated Dragon Ball out into 10 individual arcs and rated them. 
what we did for Dragon Ball as a whole. So Dayton and I kind of have, I think both are, are averaged out rating. So we took all the ratings that we gave the pre the, the arcs inside of Dragon Ball. And then we got the average for those for each of us. But then we also, because in my opinion, I didn't feel like my average score really reflected how I feel about Dragon Ball as a whole, especially because there are a few arcs like the wedding dress arc that really drag that score down. Uh, so we also have just the the score that we give Dragon Ball as a whole as more like this is how I feel about the arc versus this is my average of all of the arcs. So. I mean, is there anything you want to say about Dragon Ball in its entirety before we get to the scores, Dayton? I don't think so. I just want to bring up the point that this and we're always retooling and coming up with new ideas and figuring out how to improve the podcast as we move along. Maybe there's a way for us to to figure out a way to score these where we can drop out things like, say, the wedding dress arc that would affect our overall average score. But we haven't really come up with a system yet. And so the, the scores are what they are. But I don't think the average scores are representative of our experience with it. So I, I would probably go with the overall series score more but the average score is kind of interesting because i'm i'm really curious how everything's going to ha- end up at the end yeah i agree and i think that's kind of why we kept that in there uh, arguably we maybe in the future we'll do something where we like kind of what you said dayton where we just kind of ignore or bypass maybe the filler arcs or drop the, the lowest or something like that like we're a math teacher yeah exactly exactly give it a little more of a mean average mm-hmm. um but with that said, we'll move into the scoring here. I, I want to give just my brief feelings about this and why I scored it the way that I did, because I think that the original Dragon Ball is very underappreciated. I think especially for Western audiences, because most people in any English speaking countries they were introduced to Dragon Ball Z before they were introduced to Dragon Ball. And many of them never went back to watch the original Dragon Ball because it was, I mean, it's such a different tone, right? And it's a very different experience. If you watch Dragon Ball from the peel off arc with this kind of like comedy tone that works its way up to being something more serious and then very serious as you go into Dragon Ball Z and beyond but to go from dragon ball z this fairly serious show to kind of like this slapstick comedy that is the beginning of dragon ball it's kind of a weird uncomfortable tone shift uh but with that said i think people are seriously missing out if they don't go back and watch the original dragon ball because like dayton said you get the origin of characters like Krillin or Tien, and you get to see how they grow and what their character arcs were like. And I mean, characters like Tien in particular, I mean, if you see them just in Dragon Ball Z, they feel like just a a throwaway side character for the most part. Uh, And even Goku, even seeing Goku's growth and some of his character arcs throughout the original Dragon Ball they add context and depth to his character in Dragon Ball Z. And I really value the focus on 
martial arts and on fighting that you get in Dragon Ball versus, I mean, I love Dragon Ball Z, but there are times when Dragon Ball Z and beyond can feel like who's got the bigger power level, who's got the bigger energy dick to swing around. And it's kind of a shame that you lose that focus on martial arts sometimes. And the fights are more interesting Uh, when there are limitations on the fighters, right? When, when you can't fly. And so you have to stay on the ground. And when, I mean, at least in the original Dragon Ball series, they, they did use the Dragon Balls to bring people back, but it didn't feel as accessible, accessible as it does in, in future iterations of Dragon Ball. That's another really good point. I mean, collecting the Dragon Balls becomes trivial when you can fly around the planet in, you know, minutes. Uh, and so with that all in mind, I ended up, well, let's see. I'll start with my average. So my average rating for all of the arcs ended up being a 5.9. Now, again, I don't think that that is indicative of how I feel about Dragon Ball. Uh, If, I mean, if you listen to all the, all my, blubbering about how much I love Dragon Ball and I like the tone about Marsh or the, the martial arts and the tone shifts and everything. I ended up giving Dragon Ball as a whole a seven out of 10 because it definitely has some problems. Uh, there are, there are some problems with fillers. There are problems with some of the character writing at times. Uh, some things feel a little bit inconsistent here and there. But it is overall an enjoyable experience. The fighting is not always perfect, but when it's good, it's very good. Uh, And it's just fun to see, I mean, everything contained on Earth and see this story that is smaller in scale, but more focused on the people involved than like, oh no, the universe is going to be destroyed. And I think that makes it more relatable and connectable too, right? It's, these are, these are issues that you can relate to more. So you connect to the story in a much more intimate way. Goku's character development just seem, he makes so much more sense as a person when you get to see him starting from roughly normal beginnings, when you see him go through just growing up and learning to, to be an adult and learning to control his power and get stronger and keep his temper in check. And I mean, it's you're going through his entire life's experiences in Dragon Ball and kind of who he's going to grow into. And so with like a backing like this, I feel like Dragon Ball Z is probably a different show. Yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with you. It almost feels like a different show, although Dragon Ball ratchets up to uh, Dragon Ball Z in a in a good way. It, I I think, and that's kind of why I feel like watching the original Dragon Ball transitions well into Dragon Ball Z rather than the inverse. Unfortunately, yeah. But, and I mean, my average score is not far off from yours. Mine's a a five point seven out of ten. But uh, I also I'm with you. That doesn't reflect my my feelings towards this series. I definitely enjoy this so much more than than what a 5.7 would say. But, I mean, it has a lot to do with, you know, the the wedding dress arc and then the couple filler arcs that really drag the rest of the sco- score down. 
But at the same time, I think it's important to have that score because it's not like they're not a part of that the the series. It's not like they don't weigh into it. And if I was watching this episodically, I'd be pretty upset if I spent 10 weeks in a row watching the Baba arc. I might give this series a 5.7 out of 10. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but like I said, it's, you know, we do live in the future now, so I didn't have to spend 10 weeks on that. And my, my overall series score, I gave it an eight out of 10. I thought it was a fantastic fun watch. I mean, the highs in the show are some of the highest highs in Dragon Ball, and that that can't be taken away. And it gives so much more context for everything else in the show to build off of. I thought it was, was it a perfect experience? No, but it was a fantastic experience. And I had a lot of fun watching it. And I think I think my overall, I guess, series score, that my feelings score reflects that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you and I feel pretty similarly about it. Uh, our, I would say our numbers are actually pretty similar. I mean, even throughout the arcs, we they varied a little bit in a few of them, but I think we had similar thoughts and feelings about them. Um, I, it, it's funny. So looking at our scores before we kind of give our final thoughts here, the a recap, uh, my, so Todd's, Average score a 5.99, and Todd's, I guess, given score was a 7. Dayton's average score a 5.7, and Dayton's given score an 8, which makes Instant Transmission's average score a 5.8, and Instant Transmission's given score a 7.5 out of 10 for the original Dragon Ball as a whole. I think that is a pretty good example of how I feel and probably how you feel about the show, Dayton. I mean, it's it's very good. It it has its flaws. Uh, it's it's definitely dated. It has some pacing issues, some character writing issues. But damn it, man, it, it's it's a fun watch. It's it's enjoyable. And when the writing is good and the fighting is good, it's very good. Yeah, and it's it is a different experience than than Dragon Ball Z or any of the the later series. It's it's a different, you know, ride. And I that's something that I think gives it a lot more rewatchability than than it otherwise might, right? Like if it was just if it was the same thing as say Dragon Ball Z but just a much older version, it might not age super well and why wouldn't I just watch the newer version of it that looks better? But because it's a completely different experience, if I'm going to throw something on and rewatch some Dragon Ball content, I have a lot of reasons to pick the show that's 30 or 40 years old now because I'm I'm offered something that I can't get in other Dragon Ball media. And so I think that gives it it gives a lot of longevity. And on top of that, I think the the animation has aged super well. There are some scenes that are absolutely gorgeous and I mean, props to the animators. They they really made something special. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hard not to look at the original Dragon Ball and be like, wow, that's that's still impressive, you know, 30 plus years later. And I, I think it's a testament to how good the original Dragon Ball was that even in both Dragon Ball GT and Dragon Ball Super, they tried to 
pull elements from the original Dragon Ball, like the comedy uh, and the adventure and, the, you know, this kind of mystical journey. And they tried to pull those elements back into the show after Dragon Ball Z had been finished for years at that point. So, I mean, props to them, props to Toriyama, props to Toei Animation and Shueisha. Like, they did an excellent job with this. It was a great one. I'm really glad we went back and did this. And now I have a foundation to watch the rest of Dra- Actually, I, I watched the newest Dragon Ball and then the oldest Dragon Ball right next to each other. Guys, we may have done this a little bit out of order, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's what we it's the order we wanted to do it in. So there. <laughs> I mean, the, there's a point to it, though, isn't uh, isn't Super supposed to kind of, I guess, give that original Dragon Ball feel throughout its adventure? Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's kind of what I was talking about is it tries to pull a lot of OG Dragon Ball tropes and tones uh, and bring them back to the forefront. So, Well, I'll I'll just say that Super's lucky I didn't watch this in the opposite order, all right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to check out our ratings for Dragon Ball Super, I think it's set up as episode 15 of Instant Transmission, but... uh, I can tell you right now that the scores are quite a bit lower. (laughs) No, spoilers alert. (laughs) Oh, shoot. (laughs) uh, I think that's it for me. I think I've I've gushed long enough. Um, Man, this was a fantastic ride. I can't believe uh, I can't believe it's over. Yeah, I mean, it feels wild to be finished with Dragon Ball Super and Dragon Ball. But yeah, I... I think I'm pretty much finished here. So that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Thanks, everyone, for joining us as we wrap up perhaps the most underappreciated piece of Toriyama content in the original Dragon Ball. It's be so sure good. to join Just us. Definitely go watch oh. it. <laughs> so good. Be sure to join us on the next episode with Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Super behind us. Dayton and I have our biggest challenge before us yet. And no, it's not GT. Here's a hint. Monkeys and insects and freezers. Oh my! What could it possibly be? Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans... Stay safe out there, and remember to keep rocking the dragon. So GT's next, right? Uh, <laughs> <never>. <laughs>